We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, guys? Quick programming note. First of all, thank you so much to all the support you've shown me and Oz through seven episodes of Final Review. We've been talking about potentially experimenting with a second episode every week. Now, obviously, I'm going to trust that you guys know why we choose each episode each week. Last week, we did Skyfall because the latest installment in the James Bond franchise, No Time to Die, was hitting theaters. Well, the episode you're about to hear, as you can tell from the episode description, is a review of that movie, No Time to Die. It's going to be a bonus review in the final review series, if you want to call it that way. We don't get fully into spoilers until the very end. So if you haven't seen it, you have time to go see it or just want to listen to our immediate thoughts. I will put a timestamp in the podcast episode description so that way you can see at what point you have to turn off the podcast or at least fast forward to the end of. uh, So that way you aren't ruined before you go see it. However, Go see the movie and then come back and we won't go anywhere. I promise you. It's a podcast. Listen at your own convenience. All that to say, going forward, we're going to be releasing the bonus review on Monday morning. And that will officially end the week of said movie that we're doing. So this week was Halloween. And the episode you're getting later today, potentially tomorrow morning, is John Carpenter's 1978 horror classic, Halloween, starring Jamie Lee Curtis and Donald Pleasance and introducing the notorious Michael Myers into the horror franchise. I think you guys will enjoy the episode. We dive into the franchise and how good this movie is and how bad the rest of the movies are. Uh, We dive into our preferences with horror. I think you'll really be fascinated by where we share certain tastes and where we differ in certain tastes. All that to say, that episode is coming out later and will always come out on Thursdays, and then we will wrap up every week on Mondays. So without further ado, here is Oz and I talking about the latest installment, and potentially the last one for a while, in the James Bond franchise, No Time to Die. Why would I betray you? We all have our secrets. We just didn't get to yours yet. The world is arming faster than we can respond. Where's 007? I need a favor, brother. You're the only one I trust for this. The world's moved on, Commander Bond. You were double O. Two years. So stay in your lane. You get in my way. I will put a bullet in your knee. I thought you two would get along. Name? Bond. James Bond. So you're not dead. Hello, Q. I've missed you. It's the most valuable asset this country has. If you feel yourself losing control, I'm not going to lose... ...control. Gave up everything for her. When her secret finds its way out, it'll be the death of you. What is it? You don't know what this is. James Bond. License to kill. He 
history of violence. I could be speaking to my own reflection. Only your skills die with your body. Mine will survive long after I'm gone. History isn't kind to men who play God. this week's bonus episode the first ever bonus episode here on final review we are going to review the most recent james bond film that oz could not wait to see we'll see if it met all of his expectations no time to die the fifth installment in the daniel craig version of james bond the final installment i guess that's a spoiler but it's only been marketed that way it's directed by carrie fukunaga who you'll know from the true detective series on hbo as well as multiple other projects it also stars uh, anna de armas and rami malik and multiple characters that reappear from the movie specter oz as we dive in to the 25th james bond film i ask you your first thought walking out of the theater after seeing no time to die Oh, thank God they stuck the ending. They, you thought they stuck the landing. Okay, good. I, I really do. I, I, there are some issues here. It's not a perfect movie. Most movies that run two hours and 43 minutes have some issues, especially ones that are tethered so deeply to as bad a movie as Spectre. But I think to the extent that they could correct um, and ameliorate the problems of Spectre, they did. I felt something akin to feelings during a James Bond movie, which I, I don't think I've ever felt before. And they, I think, managed to find a satisfying conclusion for the Daniel Craig arc as the character, despite some long-term storytelling issues over the course of the five movies. I I think as these sort of things go, and obviously there's an element of the MCUification of everything, that we we can't have a James Bond movie that isn't deeply tethered to the four prior movies. It has to, of course, start with him reminiscing about Vesper and then going through the kind of pump and quantum, but going through what's transpired in Skyfall Inspector. Uh, to the as movies are made in this era, as movies are made in 2020 or really 2019, this thing was made. It's uh, I think it's a very very good work of action filmmaking. And it's not my favorite Bond movie, nor my favorite Craig Bond movie, but I I think it's a very good one. What do you think? Well, so before I get into what I thought, because you're the Bond expert on here, as you eloquently laid out during our Skyfall episode, (laughs) is it a spoiler to ask you what the long-term storytelling issues were? Well, look, I, I think we have to get into spoilers here. To some extent, and I think we can we can save you know how it concludes maybe for the end of the podcast. So okay, easier so for I folks can wait. To, I can wait until the end through. to to but get I, you to get into detail about it. But I, I can answer broadly, which is to say that Spectre is in a lot of ways a creative failure, and to premise this movie and it, it's all stuff you find out in the first ten minutes of it. So to the extent it's not totally clear in the trailer, he is married to the Leia Sado character. It's the second time in Bond canon that he's he's gotten married. You can actually hear it. It's sort of neat in the Hans Zimmer score that they keep teasing on Her Majesty's Secret Service, which is the George Lazenby uh, Bond movie where he, in fact, gets married and then Blofeld kills uh, the wife at the end of the movie. And then it's quickly forgotten in the next brutally bad Sean Connery return, Diamonds Are Forever. But look, it's an issue because the Leia Sado romance isn't something that is particularly credible in Specter. Uh-huh. He he Craig, at least to me, feels old in a way that starts encroaching upon the the sort of Roger Moore creepiness of his mid-80s movies. And Sidel, I I know she's in her mid-30s, but looks very, very young and could easily pass for her early 20s. And there's sort of a an uncomfortable element to it. And in this movie and Inspector, uh he has better chemistry with other women. He has better chemistry with he Craig, as opposed to the Bond character, has better chemistry with Monica Bellucci, Inspector. He's got better 
chemistry with the Latasha Lynch, alternative 007 in in No Time to Die, and far better chemistry in the best 10 minutes of No Time to Die with Anna Diarmas. So it's it's just difficult when the emotional hinge point of this movie and kind of this entire series now is based on a character relationship that I don't I don't really buy. And I think that's the hardest thing that it has to overcome. And the fact that it manages to mostly overcome that for me is a great tribute to the filmmaking skill on display and Craig's performance here. So, I, I mean, I've told you how I feel about Craig's most. I mean, yes, Vesper uh, in the in Casino Royale is going to be the one that we go to for heat. And I still maintain that there's some untapped potential in the Naomi Harris relationship that just is never explored again after that shaving scene in Skyfall. Having said that, my first thought walking out of the theater was that I felt the runtime, but I'm not even sure like what I'd cut. I just I kept trying to unfold the puzzle of it all. And by the time we got to the end, I was I knew where it was going because I knew this was the last one. So I was just like, all right, get me there. Like quite literally land the plane or the missile, whichever one you want to go with. And again, never fully bored, but there were some pacing issues that I had. And now we could talk about the villain because that's, that's easily my biggest issue with the movie. But as far as what I like, I'm with you that the, old and withered Craig that's not even 007 Craig for most of this movie. He is just a retired James Bond from MI6 that's off duty and then gets brought back in for one final mission. I enjoyed seeing his swan song. I enjoyed seeing the final version of it. I really like Ana de Armas. I, I fully agree with you what she said during our Skyfall episode. She's in it for only a scene or at least a, an act of the movie and I missed her when she left I wanted to see more and they arm us in this movie uh, she's in it for like a really fun set piece in Cuba and it's easily my favorite part of the movie I think um, I like Lashana Lynch as the new double O that um, probably drove white people crazy but I don't even think I mean you would know that better than I do because you're more inversed in film Twitter but having a black woman play double O play a double O in the movie I'll let you watch the movie if you haven't seen it yet to understand why I it's important to understand who she plays but um I, I was I was all aboard with with her and the back and forth with Bond and the hint of resentment that's there that you just kind of walk back and even though I earned this spot, but the clear respect for James Bond that is there. And look, say what you want about the lack of chemistry and the age difference between Craig and, and Seydoux. But while she might not play a great like love interest, she plays one incredible ex because there is a wedge driven between them. And then there is a scene where, Bond runs into Madeline for the first time in years after they've separated and the coldness on her face and then in her actions in that scene is so relatable to anybody that has ever run into an ex after a long period of time. Bravo. I, I enjoy the swan song. Like I said, I enjoy the overall. I really love the set pieces. I really like the a production design, the part in Cuba, the bunker that they go through at the end, some of the artwork on the on the wall in M's office, I thought was very creative. So overall, I'd be more positive than negative. As far as negatives go, um, and I wanted to get your take on this, is Remy Malik one of the worst Bond villains of all time? He's really, really bad. It's really bad. Uh there, there are a couple moments that are sort of okay, but in general, he's just very bad, very hammy. And it's also, it, it's sort of exposed even worse because the movie has two other villains mm -hmm. that show up. One, the return of Blofeld and another that I won't, I won't get into for spoiler reasons that I think are both significantly more effective antagonists, even in smaller screen time. And I detested Christoph Waltz inspector and he's just much, much better here. It's very clear that it's a Phoebe Waller-Bridge written scene. It has much more of a sort of snarky wit to it that was entirely missing from his past performance of the character. And it suits Waltz's skill set better, which is that sort of 
dark, threatening, comedic air that he brings everywhere else. But Malik, oh boy, Malik <laughs> is really bad. And I think to the extent that people are feeling the runtime of the movie, it's because unsurprisingly, the last act is very much focused on the Rami Malik character. I, I don't think he even shows up in this thing, aside from the cold open for 45 minutes, maybe an hour. There's a long while before he's on screen. So he dominates the last act. And it is a, it, it, it that's, probably the roughest element of this movie as opposed to some of the things that are tethered to the rest of the series it's probably the single worst thing about about this one you hit on it that there's multiple villains in this movie and you could even go to an extent where m is clearly screws something up and is part of why the mission is presented in this movie and ray finds his m does a good job in this at certain points i'm wondering why he's not given more of a redemption arc why we're not directing more of the angst from bond at him when clearly what happens in this movie is part of something he's responsible for so i just i kept wondering why that plot point was glossed over there's some other plot not plot holes but just plot points that i needed to go through the wikipedia description for afterwards because there's there's some biological warfare which was strangely relevant to today's time that I, I couldn't understand. So it's like, okay, so he's contagious because it's paired to her DNA, but she poisoned, like, some of the plot points, if you're going to spend two hours and 43 minutes on your movie, then fine, explain it all out rather than some throwaway lines that when I go back and realize they happen, they're there. Um, you mentioned the, the MCU-ification of it. I don't think for me at least that this had the the impact of the final like of endgame i don't think there was a portal scene i don't think there was the last last this this falls further down than the last 45 minutes of endgame i think if you want to go to an accurate comparison i felt more like the last 45 minutes of i mean i don't even know because it's two different One's an adult version, one's a kid's version. But like Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, I felt like there was more, obvious, ironically, also at Ray Fiennes, I felt like there was more of an emotional impact for me in the last 45 minutes there and how that concluded, where I was satisfied, but I felt the runtime. And whereas with Endgame, they could have gone on, there could be another 45 minutes of that movie. I would have been fine watching those superheroes fight. Um, you were... I feel like at this point, unless you have any other things you want to add, we should just mention a couple spoiler things. But is there anything else you wanted to add about No Time to Die? You know, the, the one thing I, I would add is one of the reasons I appreciate this series so much is because it's it's such a shaggy dog. It's kind of a mess. I, I dislike a lot of these movies, but I think they all make <laughs> for really fascinating pop culture artifacts of what's popular and interesting and, and hip at a given time. And I think it, it makes it a sort of shortcut to us pop culture for you know 40 year old white men over the last over the last 60 years and I, I think that's you know for whatever problems this movie may have I, I think that's an interesting artifact of all of them and I think the, the Craig ones also echo that and look the, the problem with doing this cohesively is that in Marvel there's one dude, who oversees everything in Kevin Feige, who has a giant plan. We know, unfortunately, because of the Sony hack and everything else, we and the writer's strike, Quantum of Solace is a movie that that nobody involved with is happy about. Craig has very openly talked about how, how poor the script is. The Broccoli's have acknowledged, who are the sort of shepherds of the Bond IP, have acknowledged issues there as well. And we know from the email hack that they were shooting Spectre with no fucking idea uh, where the movie was going, what the last act of the movie was going to look like. And Craig, for understandable reasons, after he'd just seen the finished product, was giving interviews saying how he wanted to slash his wrists rather than do another Bond movie <laughs> when he was done with Spectre. Is that a direct They're quote just, that he said he wanted oh, yeah. to slash? Oh, yeah, is that real? Said, oh, my God. He said he'd rather... They, they asked him if he would, you you would know, just come back for another Bond movie. Color. Wow, okay. No, he said he would rather slash Good his Lord. wrists All right, well. um, than do another Bond movie. And I... I you feel that you feel in this, it, it can't be Endgame. It can't be Deathly Hollows because it's, it's too shaggy. It's too messy. I think to the extent that you're going to try to get there emotionally, I, I think they do about as good a job as, as they can. 
Okay, I agree. And just to piggyback one more time about Rami Malek, just I'm still not sure what that dude's lane is. I know, I know you liked that HBO detective movie. I thought. Because Mr. Robot, I really like Mr. Robot. I like Mr. Robot, but as far as movies go, like he's fine in the Freddie Mercury lip sync movie. But like outside of that, I don't know. I don't know what his lane is. I I don't necessarily know what character I need him because I thought playing a Bond villain where he has these wide eyes that he uses in every single performance. I thought that would add to the derangement that you're expecting in a Bond character. His motivation is just, it's so lame. Like I have no idea why he's perpetuating this plan because it, the first thing he does makes sense. The thing that happens in the middle makes sense. The overall plan how do you land on that? I don't get it, which is the biggest issue I think I have that we're at this climax of the movie trying to stop it. But it's like, well, why was he doing this in the first place? Anyway, um, overall, while I would shave probably like 30 minutes off, this does not mean to be 20 minutes longer than Skyfall or Spectre. Overall, I am with you on the fact that I'm going to miss the Bond Craig version i'm going to miss him as james bond i thought he was in very adequate at times above adequate version of this character and i guess the last three things we'll go through as i ask you what is your grade on letterboxd out of i guess the stars if you want to do half you can or just seven out of ten what would your grade be for no time to die it's a a rock solid eight out of ten okay for me and i i think I've been negative on this podcast just because we focused on some of the issues more than some of the good stuff. It's the best action ever in a, in a bond movie. There's a really good fake one shot um, action scene here, which is as good as anything in the sort of non John wick market for this stuff, like atomic Mm -hmm. blonde and things of that nature. That's just, it's really good. It's really visceral. It's really violent. I think bonds banter with basically everyone here is great. I think all of the MI6, characters and it's it's not clear to me what they're going to do with them in the future but m and q and the new double o agent uh your beloved miss money penny <laughs> I, I think I, I think even the rory kinnear tanner character they all have things to do here they're all funny they're all well deployed they're very very good actors in those parts i i just i think all of that stuff is is quite good i even think the sado stuff is is relatively workable here and just throughout it good actors show up for 10 minutes or 20 minutes here or there and do their thing. I mean, Billy Magnuson is a new addition to the franchise. I thought he was great in his limited role. I think Jeffrey Wright has been a stealth MVP of all of those movies. It's clear that Wright and Craig have excellent chemistry. So all their scenes have this great, you know, uh, I, I, Frankly, he has more chemistry with Jeffrey Wright than Leia Sado. Um, I, all those scenes have just a great spark of life to them, even if the Felix Leiter character is is kind of over is kind of underused um, over the span of them. These, these, it's just it's real good action filmmaking, and like all Bond movies, you can you can see the seams a little bit. This one, obviously, they they got very close to shooting with Danny Boyle before it fell apart. There are elements of the Danny Boyle thing that are in here. There are elements added by Phoebe Waller-Bridge and her rewrite. There's just a lot, a lot going on here. It feels very much like they wanted to do a fun Bond movie in the first half of this and then a wrap-up Bond movie in the second half, which is, you know, it's an interesting creative decision in part because they spent so much time in these Craig movies, you know, in four basically of these movies he's essentially retired or miserable or beaten down as the movie is is going on you know quantum solace is a misery grind he's already like old and defeated through most of skyfall specter is uh, too old for this shit movie and now this is another too old for this shit movie uh so they haven't had a chance to do a fun bond movie and it feels like the first half which is the stronger half of the movie is dedicated to you know, if, if really like Roger Moore and something that's a little more lighthearted, a little goofier. And I think it, it really works. So sorry for going on there, but no, rock, solid, rock solid eight out of 10 for me. Okay. So a couple things, the Billy Magnuson character, while he's effective in what he's supposed to do, I actually wasn't a fan of 
He's literally there to do one thing. And I, it's a spoiler, so I won't say it, but he's re- responsible for one thing. And then he's only in it for a, a couple seconds. Then he comes back later. And then I, I thought for what he was asked to do, he did it effectively. I just thought it was more of a plot device than it was effectively added, effectively moving along the story. Having said that, um, you hit on the action and the opening scene, the, the cold open before we get the, I even mentioned the, I finally got to hear the Billie Eilish song, which yeah, I dig it. I would put it above Sam Smith as well. Um, nothing like, as you also said, is touching Adele for me at this point. Um, the opening scene with the motorcycles and then the, the car that then just opens fire, which is in the trailer is pretty incredible. The entire set piece in Cuba is just my favorite scene of this movie. I thought it's really, really fun and really effective. As I mentioned with, with Skyfall, you see where everything is. So there's not a lot of shaky cam quick cuts. You really do understand who's punching who. Who's shooting at who? It's my favorite version of action. And I haven't mentioned his name yet, but Ben Winshaw as Wishaw as Q has stuff to do and some dramatic elements in this movie where most of it is just him sitting in front of a screen and it's done effectively. The ending of this movie, what he's asked to convey to another character, I thought it's like you're you're just meant to kind of be an operator and keep the professionalism of being an MI6 IT person and yet it's one of the heavier beats of the movie so I want to give him some credit as well overall as quibbles left and right I think I'm not a solid 7 but I'm I lean more 7 out of 10 than a 6 out of 10 I liked it more than I didn't and if there's 20 minutes left and a better villain I'm with you on a strong 8 closer to a 9 so that's where I land a 7 out of 10 would this change anything in your Skyfall rankings? The only thing it might change in my rankings, and I, I do want to have a quick spoiler discussion at the end because okay. it's interesting for where it's going to go next. But um, the only thing it might change in my rankings is the Daniel Craig rankings because I think that his performance here is his second strongest as Bond. I think he has the most to do while still hitting the sort of you know, smug, charming beats that the character requires. Would it would it change? Would it definitely make the top five? I, I'm not sure, but I think it would it would give a better run for my top five than Skyfall. Really? So it it, okay. it could be and I had Casino Royale as my number one. So it, it could be back of the back of the top five for me. And I know we we talked a little about, you know, touched on Bond songs and everything else. I think this might be the strongest opening credits of a Bond movie, which is a little different than the song because the, the Billy Irish song is fine in a vacuum, but contextualized by the movie with the with the designs on screen. I think it's it, I, I was really shocked how how well it worked for me. So I, I think, you know, that that's a, a stronger point for the movie than I than I had anticipated before seeing it. OK, I I, made, I think I made it clear this wouldn't affect any of my rankings. I really like his performance in Skyfall compared to compared to this. Um Last one was the five Bond Craig movies. Put them in order now that you've seen all five. It's extremely easy for me. It, it's Casino Royale, followed by Skyfall, followed by No Time to Die, followed by Quantum of Solace, and last place is Spectre. Okay. I think I'd go, I still go Skyfall one and then Casino Royale two, but I like it's tough. Like they're both nines and I like them both for different reasons. So it's not like I'm, I just prefer the, that having to gain something back rather than a gigantic shot of humility that's got that casino Royale gives you. Um, no time to die is also three. I, man, I'm just not there. Uh, Spectre's bad, but quantum of Solace is incoherent. So I have to go Spectre four uh, solely for the opening tracking shot. I'll, I'll give that, that a nod and then quantum of Solace five. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Okay, we'll spend five minutes here at the end. If you've seen No Time to Die, you are fully aware of everything you're about to talk about. Spoiler talk. Oz, what spoilers do you want to discuss in No Time to Die? Bond is dead. Yes. And James Bond that, dies. And you know what's what's cool about that as a huge Bond nerd is there's a longstanding you know, internet and even pre-internet fan theory that James Bond, like 007 or 006 or whatever, is is a code name. And this movie gives, in a subtle way, uh, hints that that is the case um, and gives me hope that they'll bring back the MI6 people in a future movie because they're really good. There's a scene in this movie where Rafe Fiennes is in a hallway, and in the hallway are paintings of other characters. And they they very obviously show you Judy Dench's M, who we know is part of the, the Craig Bond universe. And it's unclear if she is also part of the Brosnan Bond universe while being part of the Craig Bond universe. But what they also have up there are paintings of Bernard Lee and Robert Brown, who are the first two actors to play M in Bond movies, which I think suggests, and it's probably just an Easter egg and I'm overreading into it, and they don't think these things through that much anyway, but it suggests that all of the Bond movies have happened, but with different James Bonds, because we know, because we've seen it, that Craig began his run as James Bond and as 007 in these movies and ended it. So it at least gives, it at least gives some hope for that fun fan theory and that whomever comes back in the next one will still have Ben Wishaw and will still have Ray Fiennes, which would be a good thing because they're, they're tremendous. As you said about Wishaw at the end, he sells the hell out of, out of a scene that is difficult and probably pretty awkward on the page. I also like they gave that character who's clearly been coded gay in the other movies that they open that up a little bit. I think these sort of subtle nods to the internal lives of these characters are interesting. And I think the sort of normalization of, yes, there can be a, a gay quartermaster is is a good, positive, progressive thing. I'm, I'm sorry, bad people on the internet, if you've been triggered by that statement. Right. Uh, and uh, I, I just... 
I think there there's hope for the future of Bond and a lot of flexibility for where they go next based on this. It seems like there's a lot of pessimism, like, oh no, what'll they do after Craig? They're, the the window is open to go in a very different route, especially if they want to treat Bond as you know, more of an identity that someone is brought into rather than a, a, an essential character all by itself. And I think I think it makes it easier to pivot into someone who's very unlike the other Bonds, like a Daniel Kaluuya, for the next casting of this role, instead of going with the sort of Richard Madden, more of the same Bond, which I think we may end up with. If you wanted to go, as you mentioned, with this same universe, like keeping Lashana Lynch as 007, and that's how I thought you could work around where Bond can stay this straight white male, but you now open up the universe to multiple 007s that are women, that are of different colors, that are different genders. You can now explore that, which is why I was kind of disappointed at the end. Like, oh, wow, I kind of wish Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Carrie Fukunaga were introduced sooner in the sense that we could expand this universe that way. Um, do you know, are they... Could they do the Marvel thing and or Star Wars thing and spin off into TV shows and have it go that way where there's like a eight eight episode Nomi 007 series? So there, there's a lot of upheaval. The Broccoli's have come out and said, Barbara Broccoli has said that there's not going to be a spin-off movie or TV show okay. about either about either the Lashana Lynch or the Anna Diarmas character, but they also lie all the time. And I I don't think they want to encumbrance this movie with that sort of thing because they they announced before Die Another Day came out that there were plans to do a Halle Berry Jinx spinoff. It's why they introduce a whole array of American characters who are in that movie for like three minutes. Like uh, Madsen is in that movie as like the the CIA equivalent of M. They just throw a whole bunch of stuff in there that none of it works with the idea being that there's going to be Jinx movies that would alternate with 007 movies, which boy, that would be bad because Halle Berry is terrible in that role. Here, I would actually like to see that. And I think part of it is avoiding encumbering the franchise with that sort of thing. Amazon owns these things now, or it's a co-ownership thing and the broccoli still have creative control, but going forward, this stuff is going to be on Amazon. And because of that, I very much think a TV spinoff is in play. Amazon has been very creative about how they make things. They're currently, they have basically a, a Jack Ryan cinematic universe at this point. There's ties between the John Krasinski, Jack Ryan TV show and the Michael B. Jordan without remorse movie. I think they could do something similar here. And look, they're spending $400 million on one season of a Lord of the Rings show. So they can certainly put the budget necessary to get an actual movie star like Anna Diarmas to come do a show. And I, I would certainly watch a uh, Paloma new 007 spinoff, whether they, do, whether they do it, you know, MCU style in a miniseries or a movie, I think there is a, I think there is an option here. So the only other spoiler I have, I guess there's two. First of all, not only is James Bond dead, but he's a father that we find <laughs> out about two thirds of the way through this movie that the secret that Madeline was hiding from him that's referenced at the beginning of the movie, I guess, was that she was pregnant. And then when he's confronting uh, Blofeld, when he finally, we finally see Christoph Waltz in a 007 movie, Oz, uh, when during that interrogation scene, when he's referencing, I'll let her tell you her secret. Uh, yeah, apparently he, five years have passed since they, he, he thinks that she's betrayed him. They break up. He puts her on a train. And then five years later, he finds out you were pregnant with my child and stayed within the vicinity where I all you had to do was go around the corner to MI6 and keep paying visits. And no one thought to tell me that I have a, have a child. Uh, it it worked as a as an element to humanize him because I I'm sorry, the way that they've all been marketing this as a swan song it didn't work for me not the reveal of the child but it's like yeah i know you're gonna orphan this kid in about 45 minutes so i i'm not as attached to the storyline as i should be what do you think so i i think i couldn't help but think and i know that they were developed at the same time it's a little unfair to tar it this way but it, the reality is that i saw one movie two years ago and i saw the other movie a week and a half ago it, it can't help but feel insanely derivative of endgame 
to me where we've introduced this daughter character who who doesn't exist who who's there basically entirely yeah okay an, good call as, as an emotional wedge to to manipulate you into humanizing this sort of prickish male character i uh, i think it's it's not an i i look i i have a i have a key ring my house key ring is a, a little thing that says i i love you 3000 daddy so i'm i'm not like i can't I can't go too far on how much I, I piss on this trope, but it is kind of a rough thing where we have to, the only way that we can figure out it's, it's sort of like the, the new version of fridging or something like that. We have to give a male character, a daughter to soften him and give him motivation. And I, I think it's not, it's not ideal. The kid's pretty good. And it does give the movie one of the best scenes, which is the, the reveal scene i think you you were alluding to that in part i think she's very she sado is very good in the scene where she you know sort of pretends that it's not his kid in a way that's meant more to cut him than to than to actually pretend it's not his kid uh i i think that gives the movie enough emotion that i gave a little bit more of a shit at the end i look at <laughs> look the the internet has has roasted it a little bit in uh -huh. some ways it, it's very much the same thing as the end of armageddon there's just a lot of a lot of i have to say goodbye to my little girl sort of things that it embraces but i i think it is it's okay. Bond movies are are devoted to using tropes and applying them to this character. And I think it's an okay deployment here. And the other thing is just Remy Malik as I'm not even sure what the character's name is. It's Lu it's 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 Lucifer Satan. Also, you could think of that as Lucifer Satan as we do our subtle bond naming convention. Is it Satan? Because IMDB yeah. has it or as Satan or something. Yeah, Regardless, Remy it's Malik. Lucifer Satan. The, the character's not interesting enough for me to to me to say it correctly. Remy Malik. So the plan was I'm gonna kill everybody inspector by re by changing this biological weapon that when deployed specifically attacks the DNA that is inserted and programmed into the weapon. And when the weapon was originally supposed to be deployed it was meant to kill everybody at Blofeld's birthday party that was not part of Spectre. He got somebody, he got the main doctor, uh, uh, Valdo Obruchev, uh, that, that's the closest thing I'm going to say today. Um, he got him to change it so that way it would actually kill everybody in Spectre. And then he also wants to kill Blofeld, which he bribes uh, Madeline's character into doing because it turns out that Madeline, as a child, saw her mother murdered by Remy Malik, and then she fell into a lake, the scene that is in the trailer. Um, and so he bribes her and saying, you owe me, and gets her to poison Blofeld through Craig, through Bond. But then also, Remy Malik wants to do this to everybody in the world and program every... Like, wh why? Why does he want to do that? He's He's got his father's garden where it's like a poison garden is this one big island that is shared territories between russia and japan so you're not allowed to just bomb it but apparently you are and all of that if it doesn't make sense to you it didn't make sense to me person listening i i had to go back and because when when craig when Craig goes and kills Blofeld, or accidentally kills Blofeld because he strangles him, and then you see Blofeld suffer the effects of the poison. I was like, so Craig's poisoned now? But is this like COVID? Well, right, so, I understood like so the DNA like had to be programmed. Yeah. And once they touch it, it never goes away, which is also inconsistently deployed in the film, but that doesn't matter. But they, there is a line from Q where they talk about how it's going to be in his skin forever and there's nothing he can ever do to get rid right. of it. So when Madeline touches Bond, there's like a pregnant shot of Bond like rubbing his wrists or something. And that's what gets the that's what gets the poison onto Blofeld, which I know doesn't make any sense, but it's you know, it, it it's it's a device. I think the the best thing I can say about the Malik motivations or the best explanation I can give is that all of the threat to the world stuff is just window dressing bullshit so that he can try to get the girl he wants through the most manipulative means possible. It seems a lot of, you know, Madeline turn yourself over to me and I will, I will uh, not try to commit genocide, but it's still, it, it, no, no bond villains motivations really make all that much sense. But he kidnaps her daughter 
and then just lets the daughter leave. Like, there's no let me check to make sure that they're watching Madeline. And then when the daughter leaves, because there's there's never it's never communicated to him that Madeline's free. So there's no reason for him to just let the daughter now walk around the compound. Oh, he doesn't he doesn't care about the daughter. I, I, I don't, it's not it's not his kid. He doesn't give a shit. Right. But if the whole point was like, I'm kidnapping this child. So that way, Madeline has to pay attention to me, like has to follow my every command. He's not been told yet that she's gotten free. So then why does he just let the this might just be extreme nitpicking, but I never at one point was like afraid of Remy Malik's or like cared about his plan. And it, it's why like, like the, the opening with like the vault scene is better as a villain. The opening when they're attacking him in the graveyard is better as a villain. The honestly, the twist that M is responsible for the creation of this weapon was like really good. I thought they were going to go into some deeper commentary on government oversight and that worked better than me than any single thing that Remy Malik does in this movie. Yeah. And I, I'm going to toss Billy Magnuson into the mix. I, I, I found the twist more effective than you. Um, I, oh, so I, I found the twist affected. I'm with you. I saw it coming. He's in the movie to kill Jeffrey Rush. Like that is the entire point, right? Yeah. Well, not uh, Jeffrey Wright. Jeffrey Wright. What I say, Jeffrey Rush. Mm-hmm. Just recently, we watched another Pirates. Our conversation about Pirates of the Caribbean made me do so. He's in the movie to kill. Um, what's what's Wright's character to kill Felix? Felix Slider. Okay, that's the only point of the movie. Because then when he shows up again in the movie, he's dead ten seconds into the the scene with Bond. I, I think that's true, but I I also think he he serves as a bit of a device for Lighter and Bond to share their banter and to do a sort of old guard, new guard thing when they're drinking at the bar and he's being kind of a doofus at the table and asking too many questions. I, I think it does give um, a, something different for Bond to bounce off of a little bit in a way that could have been far shittier with a lesser actor. And I think I think Magnuson does a really nice job of it. I think, frankly, Magnuson's had a nice, a nice year with... I, I thought he was good in this. I thought he was good in many saints of newark with a very difficult role to try to emulate Polly walnuts but i thought he was the best of the best of the lot and he's really good in a i i think hbo bought it but a holocaust boxing movie which i know is on, on in concept maybe not the thing that you want to watch but a very good movie that he plays the sort of main nazi in directed by barry levinson so that's the survivor right the survivor yes. sorry yes benefits from a very strong lead performance from ben foster so okay uh look I, we've, we said it in the non-spoiler part the action scene in Cuba is it's one of my favorite action scene sequences throughout the film it has probably because Ana de Armas I might be coming to your side on that debate by the way um, it's just incredible and every second she's on screen uh, you get to see what Nomi does as the new 007 oh that's the other I guess spoiler is that uh, they gave her Bond's code number or or badge number 007 so she gets to be 007 in the movie until she gives it back toward the end and then he dies so i'm assuming that he's 007 that she went back and took the number uh look my only other thought at the end was when m raises that glass in the toast to bond I just I still had some resentment toward it's your fault, you know, <laughs> like you're the reason that this weapon got created and that's just glossed over and you get to give the toast to James Bond at the end. Um, I don't know, it's, it's nitpicking, but it I was waiting for them to be like some resolution to that, which I don't think for me was adequately done. One of the things that Bond movies have always done is reflect the sort of cultural zeitgeist about government. And government incompetence is certainly something that would be relevant both to uh, U.S. and U.K. audiences, especially in a movie that's largely conceptualized in like the 2017 to 2018 window. So I think it makes a lot of sense viewing Bond as sort of a political allegory for what's going on in the world, that it would be stupidity and lack of forethought by government officials that would lead to uh, the death of essentially the world's greatest superhero. So I, I actually think that that's right in line with how these movies tend to operate as as political reflections. And look, it, there's a long held history of Bond being uh, in some way pushed or you know emotionally 
tortured. And a lot of times M is the cause of that or, or M's fuck ups are the cause of that. That's the plot of license to kill. That's the plot of the plot of the world is not enough. There's just a lot of these where it's the plot of Skyfall. There's a lot of these where M's oversights or M's, you know, harsh decisions create the universe that makes Bond's life so difficult. It's just, it, it's sort of integral to the relationship. And while I hear what you're saying, that maybe M needed to have a bit of a comeuppance here. Some he kind of reckoning, get. like like Skyfall, there's at least some type of magnifying glass onto the judgment calls of M. You know, that's not here. I, I agree. I I also think that it reflects the differences of, of the Obama era versus the Trump era or, <laughs> you know, the, the, U, the UK <laughs> analogy of that as well. I, yeah. There's just, there, there's a lot of fertile ground for a, a much longer discussion someday uh, about the politics of Bond movies, but um, it's something I may have written about in college. Wow. But, okay. um, <laughs> but uh, it is, it, look, it's certainly fair to say that the reason that, that M would see a reckoning in a way that Dench M would see a reckoning in the way that finds M doesn't, to the extent anything in these movies is truly intentional, is I think reflects the, the popular zeitgeist. Okay. No time to die. Uh, check it out everywhere movies are available. This was our spoiler review. Thank you for checking it out. And tune in next time for another bonus review. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So... At four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable. It's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast.